January 10th, 2013. Mike at KMGX.com is our email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Groff Show on Google Talk. Michael Groff on Twitter. And for everything else related to this program, you can always be found at MichaelGroff.com. While you're there, sign up. Get registered so you can always get a uh, email notification every time we have a brand new podcast. You can leave your comments, your feedback for this or any other podcast. And of course, you can donate to this program. All of that can be done at the portal, the site that is taking over the internet one gigabyte at a time. It is michaelgroff.com. Okay. Is there no end to the nanny state? It's a question we ask on this show all the time. And I I don't know. Michael Bloomberg is leading the charge of the nanny state. If you're in New York, and I know New Yorkers seem to love Michael Bloomberg for some reason or another, but this guy is, he used to be a Republican. He's claim, He claims to be independent. Well, he is the most liberal independent I have ever seen in my entire life. This is a guy that believes cradle to grave, the government should be involved in your life, always there, always nosing in, telling businesses what they can put in their food, telling businesses the portions of trans fats, the, in fact, banning trans fats altogether, telling them the portions, the size of a soda that you're allowed to serve, the absurdity, salts, what words you can say. Remember, they, they had the ban on the <clears throat> N-word. They did that. And then they, um, they increased the tolls, ridiculous amounts. 
And they did this to curtail people from taking unnecessary travel. So they used tolls and fees and penalties as a disincentive to travel unnecessarily in one of the most expensive places to live in the world. But now the fearless leader, Michael Bloomberg, is cracking down on the amount of pain medication you can receive while you're in the hospital. Can you imagine you're in the hospital, you probably have either a terminal disease or maybe you've just had a major surgery. And the only thing that separates you from complete agony are those damn painkillers. And this guy's going to come along and tell you, no, I'm sorry, you can't have that much. You can't have, uh, you can only have X amount per hour because I'm Michael Bloomberg. I'm a medical doctor. I know everything about pain medication. Uh, I, I've heard that some people get addicted to pain medication. Therefore, we're going to crack down on the amount of pain medication you can receive while you're in the hospital. Imagine that of all the places to crack down on it, the hospital where you are constantly being supervised, where your amount of medication is supposedly being monitored at its greatest, that's where you're going to crack down on the use of prescription pain medication or, or painkillers. Give me a break. But Bloomberg and city officials are setting out to, with a new initiative to limit the supplies of prescription painkillers in the city's emergency rooms as a way to combat what they describe as a growing addiction problem in the region. Now, of course, critics say that this new policy will affect the poor more than anybody else, which I think is just ridiculous because when you're in the hospital after a surgery, pain does not know an economic strata. Pain does not know uh, anything except for it's just a, it's a, a biological response. It's a warning sign, usually, that something is wrong in the body. Uh, the firing of, of, of electrical impulses across synapses is not something that is just limited to poor people, okay? That's something that happens across all economic... I hate these stories where it's like, the poor will be affected the most by this. No, everybody is affected. It's a nanny state issue. This is not one issue that should be made into a class warfare issue. This is just a simple get the hell out of hospitals, Mayor Michael Bloomberg, because you don't know anything. I would like to see Michael Bloomberg's medical credentials to know exactly the amount of pain medication that should be prescribed to any specific patient or used on any specific patient after any given surgery in a hospital. What qualifications does Michael Bloomberg have to dispense this type of initiative? His rationale, of course, is to prevent extra pills from piling up in the cabinets of New Yorkers who no longer need them, where they can pose a health risk if they're abused. Quote, we talk about drugs, heroin, crack, marijuana. This is one of the big outbursts, and it's a lot worse around the country than it is here. It's kids and adults getting painkillers and using them for entertainment purposes or whatever field of purposes, as opposed to what they are designed for. Bloomberg continued, quote, if you break a leg, you're going to be in pain. Nothing wrong with getting something to reduce the pain. But if you get 20 days of pills and you only need them three days, there's 17 days sitting there invariably some of the kids are going to find them or you're going to get addicted to them yourself. Well, 
There's a lot wrong with that. Number one, you're not going to get addicted on pain medication by taking 17 days worth. Chances are. But beyond that, if you're worried about kids getting their hands on medication, there's a very simple solution to that as well. Be a better parent. Take responsibility and care for your prescription drugs. If you don't want your kids to get their hands on your prescription medication, then lock it up. Make sure you take care of it. Put it in a cabinet. Keep it in your purse or your bag or whatever. Make sure it's always close to you or dispose of it when you're finished with it. Whatever. But this is not something that the government should be telling you to do. The government does not have to sit there and tell people, uh, make sure you dispose of that medication when you're done with it or we're only going to limit you to this amount. That way uh, you, you don't even have enough to get addicted to it. You don't even have enough to uh, eliminate all of your pain. Hey, man, you might just have to tough it out for a little while. That's just the nature of this. We have to protect the kids and we have to protect people from getting addicted. The vast majority of people are able to use prescription medication responsibly. They have it in their care. They use it for as long as they need to and then they're done with it. Maybe they don't use it all. Maybe they do and they don't get addicted to it. The vast majority of people that take medications do not get addicted to it. Yes, we have a society that is, hey, I have a headache, so uh, I'm going to take a, I'm going to pop an aspirin or a Tylenol or whatever. I'm going I'm to take acetaminophen, whatever I'm going to do. I'm going to throw it down. All right, fine. But that's a little bit different. People can get addicted to just about anything. We have an addictive personality disorder kind of thing going on in society. That's not limited to drugs. We have that with gambling. We have that with alcohol. We have it with caffeine. We have it with all sorts of substances, all sorts of activities. People are addicted to TV. People are addicted to video games. And uh, this is... Where does it stop? If you start clamping down and putting in these restrictions on medications, where are we going next? If the overwhelming majority of people use something responsibly and take care of something responsibly, then why is it that those people should be punished because some people get addicted? And really isn't being addicted to a pain medication, isn't that really a victimless crime anyway? Isn't that someone's own personal choices to get addicted to something? I know it's sad whenever you have somebody that's battling addiction in a family. I'm not saying that it, it doesn't affect other people, but at the end of the day, this is not a government regulation issue. This is a personal responsibility and accountability issue. And to tell a hospital of all places that they need to curtail this and, and put in regulations on hospitals, more regulations on hospitals, well, um, of all the places, yeah, because if someone's going to get addicted to pain medication, it's probably not going to be in a hospital. And I know the rationale probably is also, well, we do have doctors that sometimes uh, get involved and in they, they get a, a hooked on pills that they steal from the hospital. Again, that is a personal responsibility and accountability issue. It's a responsibility issue on the part of the person that's stealing it or the, or the hospital or not keeping tabs. That, that's what happens. But don't make it a big thing about, well, uh, we need the government to step in because, you know, the government's going to handle this really well, just like they've handled everything else. You know how uh, Michael Bloomberg decided that uh, sodas, you were getting way too much soda. You could have way too much whenever you went to a convenience store or a fast food restaurant in the New York area. So in his infinite wisdom, he said, all right, we're going to limit the size of soft drinks. 
No more. Nothing bigger than what? 16 ounces or maybe it was 32 ounces, whatever it was. So now what people were doing, they were just taking the smaller size sodas and, and buying like two of them. Or they were staying at the McDonald's longer and just drinking more, <clears throat> filling their cup up twice or three or four times from the fountain instead of just once. So in your efforts to cut, make people cut down, you've actually probably made it worse. Bloomberg also argued that the number of pain pills currently being prescribed had even contributed to an uptick in violent crimes outside of pharmacies from robbers looking to steal the drugs. So I guess his logic here is if I make these prescription drugs less available and I make it so there's there's more restrictions on them, that crime will somehow go down. That's very odd thinking. But then again, that would be your government at work. Yes, how does that work out in history? When we have made something harder to get, something that's already available, something that is prescribed by a doctor or something that you can already get with, you know, reasonable access, reasonable. And then suddenly you put tight restrictions on it. Hmm. How has that worked out for crime? Hmm. Well, uh, let's see. We, we did that with alcohol, didn't we? We had prohibition. And how did that work out? Well, we had a lot of gangs uh, and black markets going around and people shooting each other and Al Capone. And <laughs> we, we had uh, a lot of that going on back in the 20s. And we certainly have our current war on drugs where drugs are supposedly hard to get because they're illegal and or there's very tight restrictions on certain types of narcotics. How has that worked out? Yeah, this is just another example of somebody that doesn't really know what he's talking about, and yet he's in a position of power. Very, very dangerous. Quote, you see, there's a lot more holdups of pharmacies, people getting held up as they walk out of pharmacies, he explained. What are they all about? They're not trying to steal your shaving cream or toothpaste at the point of a gun. They want those drugs. So somehow you think that that's going to go away just because you enact legislation where you tighten the restrictions on pain medications? What sense does that make? This is a guy that banned trans fats because he thought that if we ban trans fats, there won't be any more fat people. We'll cut down on obesity. Or if we eliminate, if we cut down the size of soft drinks that people can get, we'll eliminate obesity or we'll make a dent in obesity. Um, okay. <laughs> this is the logic these people use. Liberal logic to me is, it's so weird. I, I, I've never, ever understood it. I swear, I, 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 I read this story a hundred times before the show. I, I really thought about this. And I went, I'm trying to figure out exactly what he's trying to do. I get it. You don't want people getting addicted to pain medication. All right, so you want to limit access to it. In hospitals, though? And you think that somehow, by limiting access to pain medication and making it harder to get, you're going to cut down on crime. So let's say I'm a guy, okay, and now I've got severe pain or I'm, I'm in pain and I need medication. Or maybe I'm addicted to pain medication and 
I, I can't get it from my doctor anymore. Or he only gives me Percocet and that really doesn't cut it. And I need to get Vicodin. And now since it's even harder to get, I'm, I'm really going to go out and make sure that I have the necessary measures to go out and steal it any way I can. Breaking into a pharmacy, stealing it from somebody coming out of a pharmacy. Whatever it is I've got to do, I'm going to do it. That's not going to cut down on that kind of crime. I, wow, I really, I swear, I'm, I'm telling you, man, I've really been thinking about this. I don't know where the logic is in this thinking. Maybe somebody can shed a light on it for me. One of you Michael Bloomberg supporters. It's funny, too, because Michael Bloomberg keeps getting reelected. And yet I've never talked to a person from New York City that voted for the guy. Oh, I didn't vote for him. People will say, oh, he's a, he's a good mayor. But then you'll say, well, you'll bring up all this stuff and you'll say, well, did you vote for him? No, 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 man. I didn't vote for him. It's like people have shame. They vote for the guy and then they go, oh man, did he really just do that? Did he really go after the trans fats? Did he go after the salts? Did he go after the, the soda? Did he just institute a, a new hike in the tolls? We have a $21 toll and when we go on this road. That's the latest from the nanny state of New York. And as goes New York, so will go the rest of the country eventually. New York is one of those bellwether places in the United States. They are wacky in New York City. They will elect and enact all sorts of bizarre people and policies. Just like California. And eventually that kind of crap makes its way across the country and gets enacted in other areas. It's like a virus. You have to contain it now and do your best to get rid of it before it spreads to the rest of the... Because once it starts spreading, it's too late. Let's see what else is happening here. Um, oh, yeah, I'm always interested in TV shows or radio shows or sitcoms or whatever. When they have built a great team, everybody works well together. And then for whatever reason, they all decide... Hey man, this is so great. Let's all let's just go our separate ways because now now we've built up a, a good rep, and we're going to go out and have successful careers on our own. So you know, Simon Cowell was with American Idol, and he produced shows over in England as well, and they were all successful. But nothing was more successful than the American Idol franchise. But Simon Cowell said no. I'm going to bring X Factor over to the States and it's going to be even bigger than American Idol. I'm just going to have the biggest success ever. And, uh, you know, I discovered that band One Direction and they're huge. And look, Simon Cowell's got a bunch of money, so I don't think this really matters to him. But he leaves American Idol. American Idol gets, you know, Steven Tyler and um, I don't know, Paul Abdul left and, and I don't know who else they had on there. They still had, they had Randy Jennifer Lopez and, um, and and Steven Tyler. And now they're all, I think they're all gone now. Um, but that show, it, look, it just didn't do as well in the ratings. It was, the ratings were down like 20% or something like that. X Factor came over to the United States and just didn't have the success that they were expecting. Yeah, it still did okay. People still watched it, but it just wasn't the big hit that American Idol was. Nothing ever attained the success that the first few seasons of American Idol got, including Steve, uh, Simon Cowell's other projects. So, but he decided, hey, I'll, I'll bring in Britney Spears. She'll be a train wreck. She'll get some ratings. Uh, no, that didn't work out either. 
Britney Spears, uh, they've thrown her off the show. Simon Cowell and fellow producers are discussing replacements for Spears now for the next season of X Factor. Let's see. Fox declined comment. Jeff Raymond, a publicist for Spears, didn't immediately return a quest for, request for comment. So obviously, there was a little bit more to it than just she didn't bring in the ratings. So there was clearly some tension and some very bizarre kind of stuff going on there. And that's why they decided not to have her back. Bizarre behavior surrounding Britney Spears. Now, you had heard about that previously. And of course, we've, we've certainly seen her bizarre behavior over the past several years. But who would have guessed that that wouldn't have worked out? The departures um, are yet another shakeup for the X Factor. Cal's attempt to strike magic in a U.S. version of his uh, successful U.K. series. Cal replaced panelist Paula Abdul and Nicole Scherzinger with host Steve Jones after a disappointing first season. And ratings dropped in the second season. The December season finale drew 9.7 million viewers compared to more than 12 million for the first year's finale. And of course, American Idol's finale draws like 20 or 30 million people. I think it's like 35 million, actually. Although the series has failed to match Cal's uh, pre-debut expectations and predictions, it certainly hasn't eclipsed sister Fox show American Idol. It sh helps uh, shore up the network schedule. So, look, they're um, they're all right. They're still going to be okay, and they're still going to put the show on the air because, let's be honest, uh, these types of talent shows are still cheaper to produce than sitcoms, animated series, anything else. Reality shows are always cheaper to produce than sitcoms and, and those other big kind of like dramas and movies and all that kind of stuff. So they're going to keep throwing that stuff, cramming it down your throat as long as possible. Long as you're willing to keep watching it. I, I refuse to watch that crap. American Idol, X Factor. To me, all of that stuff, they say America's votes matter. It really doesn't. It's the producers determine who's going to win very early on in the show. Uh, we have certainly brought on evidence to document that over the years. And there's nothing that's really going to convince me otherwise. And that's fine. Listen, I, I understand. I I'm just one of those people. I like honesty on television. Don't tell me that a vote counts when it really doesn't. If you just want to put out a show and say, and the producers ultimately decide the winner. And I think there is actually a di disclaimer at the end of the show that says something like that in, in more legalese. I don't know. I'm just not really a fan of the whole reality show, talent show sort of genre. I've never really gotten that whole thing. America's Got Talent and uh, some of these other talent shows. I mean, they're okay for what they are, but I, I'm not glued to it. It's just not that compelling. Um, the singing shows especially. I, I used to watch American Idol the first few weeks when they would just have the auditions, when they'd have all the terrible people on that you'd make fun of and all of those people that really thought that they were going to make it big and they had the reality slapped into their face that they weren't, that was what I enjoyed. The rest of it, I really could have cared less about who won or what the final outcome was. Okay, well, uh, I need to take a break.
still have a lot of other stuff to get into on the program. Obviously, um, we have the Michael Graff Show stupid news file, and we have to highlight the fact that, once again, there are just parts of the world that we're never going to understand, and there's just some parts of the world that are perpetually stuck in the ninth century, whether you want to accept it or not. Some cultures are just backwards. And and I know, who are we to judge? But there are just some things that you can judge. There are some things that are just backwards or barbaric or just friggin' strange. Certainly we'll highlight that. And we have a Michael Graff Show flashback. It's been a long time since we've done a flashback on the podcast, but I think it's about time we did that. So that's coming up as well. And uh, finally... Finally, a guy gets fired from ESPN for being just plain stupid. It's way, way too late. And I think it's a very bizarre move, but we'll talk about that coming up as well. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Grav Show. We'll be back. You're listening to the Zip Code Famous. Zip Code Famous. Michael Grav Show. MichaelGraff.com. KMGX.com. Michael Graff Show, AOL Instant Messenger, Graff Show on Google Talk, Michael Graff on Twitter, and for everything else Michael Graff related, including the ways for you to donate to this program. All of that can be done at the one and only MichaelGraff.com. Just to show that there are still indeed very backwards parts of the world, let's head to the Middle East. Yes, why not? Um... In the Middle East, as you know, um, basically anything goes. It's uh, First of all, it's definitely a man's world there. Women are uh, treated as second-class citizens. Uh, basically, if you're a woman in the Middle East, good luck to you. And good luck to anybody that finds that culture to be anywhere near appealing. Once again, an example of how they are perpetually stuck in the ninth century. We have this story, uh, a court in Saudi Arabia. Now, there's there's a little good news, bad news to this story. A court in Saudi Arabia ruled an end to a marriage between a 90-year-old man and a 15-year-old woman. That's good. This according to Gulf News, all right? 
The controversial case began when the elderly groom offered a $17,500 dowry to marry the teenage girl. A dowry is like basically you pay off a family to get married to their daughter. So you can be some creepy old guy, some king, some prince, or just some regular dude and come up with enough money and you offer it up to the family that has a, a daughter and they'll go, all right, you gave us some money, so now we're going to give you... It's basically prostitution. Except it's not just sex. You're getting the whole marriage. You're, you're, getting, uh, you're getting everything. You're getting the whole package deal. Anyway, so this guy, this 90-year-old guy, offers a $17,500 dowry for the teenage girl. The family accepts the money. The girl reportedly freaked out, as any 15-year-old girl would who was facing having to marry a 90-year-old guy. She locked herself in a room, and I guess um, the family may have thought a little bit better of it. She wouldn't let her husband in the room. She wouldn't talk to the husband. She didn't want anything to do with a 90-year-old. She didn't want anything to do with a guy that was alive before World War II started as you might be able to understand. So eventually, um, the marriage was never consummated and the courts decided that this is not a, a legal marriage. That I guess we shouldn't go through with this marriage. The courts overturned it. But the best part is, is the groom, the 90-year-old creeper, reportedly wants... His $17,500 back. Well, I guess so. Hey, look, you gave the family the... Imagine being a judge over there. You have to hear this kind of crap. I, so, you know, you give them the $17,500. You don't get the goods. So you should get it back. I mean, they did accept the money. Quote, I did not want the dowry back. And I still want my wife to come home. He reportedly said, I'm going to take the case to a court this week to rule on the conspiracy by the family to take my money. How about the fact that it's a 15-year-old girl, you friggin' creep? I mean, what about that? Just showing you that there are parts of the world that are not quite as civilized as we are. And I don't want to hear your stuff about, hey, man, it's just a difference in culture. This is just a way, a much different tradition than what we're used to. Maybe they look at what our culture does as a little bit unusual. Hey, I understand. I understand that there are different traditions. There are different sets of values. And there are certain things in other parts of the world that we are just not meant to understand. And I certainly wholeheartedly accept that. I'm open-minded about a lot of stuff. But paying off a family to give away their child, uh, and that's what a 15-year-old is, I'm sorry, to give away their child for marriage and, of course, the consummation thereof, which would be sex, and in doing so for money, basically throwing your kid under the bus for a few bucks, not cool. <laughs> sorry, you are not going to convince me that this is at all a good idea or this is at all a good tradition and that this is a cultural value that's acceptable and that I should be open-minded about. But that's the Middle East for you. I just want my wife. I want my wife to come home. Right. Okay. And, and what happens? So even if the, let's say one of these courts, see, you never know with the Middle East how this is going to go. Saudi Arabia. 
So let's say the Saudi court says, all right, it's a perfectly legal marriage. You gave them the dowry. They gave you the daughter. Now the daughter has to come home. What what are they going to do? I guess if she doesn't cooperate, I think over there they'll just kill you. Or they'll just force you to consummate the marriage, forcible rape. Certainly wouldn't be the first time we've heard about something like that in Saudi Arabia. The beacon of intellectual fortitude that it is. Ah, yes. A window into the future of society, isn't it? Just a great way to live. (laughs) It still goes on. This is remarkable. In the 21st century, you've got dowries, you've got families that give their daughters away, their kids away for money uh, in some sort of arranged marriage or a traditional marriage or some sort of ceremony. You have 90-year-olds that are going out with 15-year-olds. Back in my day, we didn't have television because it hadn't been invented yet. Actually, over there, it probably still hasn't been invented. Uh, Just showing you that there are parts of the world that are a little different, a little less civilized than the rest of us. Okay, I think that's a perfect transition to talk about broadcasting and specifically ESPN. Now, there's a lot of you that probably think that it's great whenever a guy makes a ridiculous statement on the air and he winds up getting fired for it. ESPN has such a commentator by the name of Rob Parker, and we didn't even talk about this story when it happened, but about a month ago, Rob Parker was on the air, and they were talking about RG3, Robert Griffin III, the quarterback of the Washington Redskins. Uh, He is a phenomenal quarterback. Uh, He has had a great season, and there's certainly a controversy around his usage in the playoffs because he was clearly injured, yet his coaches had him go out and play, and then he's now further injured. His career may be in jeopardy, but he was a rookie sensation, a a fantastic quarterback, and uh, certainly made for very exciting football this year. But... Not everybody seems to have this glowing opinion of RG3. And a lot of the criticism, or at least some of the criticism that he received, had absolutely nothing to do with his quarterback play as much as this. Uh, Rob Parker of ESPN called him a cornball brother. Parker said that he felt that Robert Griffin III, who is black, by the way, uh, doesn't... What were his words exactly? Uh, He's not down for the cause, whatever that means. That he has a white girlfriend and that he thinks that he's a Republican. These are all Rob Parker's words. He is speculating about the kind of person that he believes Robert Griffin III to be. And he called him a cornball brother. And I guess a cornball brother is sort of is sort of like an Uncle Tom. It's somebody that's a very educated black guy who uh, is not um, doesn't hang out with uh, the typical type of crowd that is stereotypical for a black guy to hang out with. Um, he is more educated. He's somebody that again goes outside of his race for a relationship who doesn't vote for the kind of people that you would ex- expect a black person to vote for. Again, this is, I guess that is according to um, what I've read about the term cornball, cornball brother. I guess that is 
what Rob Parker was trying to get at over at ESPN. Now, to me, I look at RG3 and I think, man, what a great quarterback. I don't care what his politics are. I don't care who his girlfriend is. I don't care if she's black or white. I don't even care if Robert Griffin III is black or white. Who cares? Haven't we gotten to the point? I don't care what color of skin you are as a commentator or whenever you're talking about these kinds of things. Haven't we gotten to the point yet where we just kind of put aside these ridiculous stereotypes about, well, if you're a black guy, you have to uh, be a a liberal. You have to vote for uh, Democrats. You have to vote for Barack Obama. You have to be, quote, down for the cause, as Rob Parker says. Why? Why do you have to be down for the cause? And why do you have to be uneducated? Why is it that being educated is considered a bad thing in the black community, or at least in some parts of the black community? Why is that bad? Rob Parker seems to think it's bad. And he went on this rant on ESPN about a month ago about it. Now, the reason I bring it up is because ESPN has finally gotten around to firing him. Quote, Rob Parker's contract expired at year's end. Evaluating our needs and his work, including his recent RG3 comments, we decided not to renew an ESPN spokesman said in a written statement. So ESPN spin is, hey, his contract was expiring at the end of the year anyway. We just decided not to renew it. We didn't really fire him. ESPN suspended him on December 13th. It was a... 30-day suspension, so he would have been due to be back on January 12th. But uh, they say that, no, 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 we just decided not to renew his contract. It's not really anything like that. Yeah, we didn't really care for his comments. They didn't even react to his comments right away. ESPN had no official comment about it. It took them about a week to actually respond and then come up with some sort of policy about it. They have him on this show called First Take. I don't know how many of you have seen this show on ESPN. It's called First Take. I think Stephen A. Smith is on it as well. I have never seen more inane television in my entire life. And I the, the entire purpose of this show is to stir up controversy and just to talk about a bunch of nonsense and make for controversy where there is none. This is what sports talk has become about. Um, it is now a race to just out outrage, if you will, outdo the other in terms of we've got to dig up a story, even where there is not really a story to dig up here. We need to talk about something salacious, something that's just meaty, and we need to dig our claws into something that really isn't even there. And now what we'll do is any guy, any athlete, especially any athlete of color, that doesn't act in a stereotypical way of that race, we will ostracize them. Because this Rob Parker of ESPN, or formerly of ESPN, he's a black guy, so he feels that he can comment on other black guys, especially Robert Griffin III. Like, he really knows anything about him. He's probably seen him once, or maybe he did an interview with him once, but he doesn't really know anything about the guy's personality. He knows that maybe he voted Republican, and he has a white girlfriend. And I guess that's a bad thing. I, is that a bad thing? If, you, if you're a black guy, is that a bad thing to have a white girlfriend? Why does that matter? Who cares? 
Now, I will say, I, I have to be kind of careful how I come down on this issue because I never want to see a guy get fired for expressing his opinion. I think that's silly. I think it's terrible when a network just won't stand behind somebody they hired. ESPN hired this guy to be outrageous and to express an outrageous opinion. It's not the first time that Rob Parker has expressed controversial or outrageous opinions either. And so it's as a radio guy, and I see this happen to other radio guys all the time, you hire somebody to be edgy and to push the envelope and to express a certain opinion. And then as soon as that person expresses that opinion, uh, you're okay with it until a bunch of people get outraged. And then all of a sudden you turn around and instead of standing behind your talent, you throw that talent under the bus and you go, well, uh, we don't really endorse those kind of comments. You were encouraging him to make those comments. Yeah, but, you know, we don't really endorse those kind of comments. And uh, we'll be sure that uh, the swift uh, disciplinary policies that we have set aside are, uh, are implemented to deal with this right away. That's what ESPN does. And, you know, if they really had a problem with it in the first place, ESPN not only aired the comments when they went out on the show First Take, but then when they had the best of First Take, which was, uh, I guess, the weekend version of the show where they sort of give you the highlights from the shows throughout the week, the best highlights of the week, they aired his comments, again, his rant about RG3 being a cornball brother uh, later in the week. So ESPN is being completely hypocritical. They're saying, oh, you know, uh, we don't endorse these kind of comments. Let's run those comments again. Nope, nope, we don't. We don't like those comments at all. Be sure that we air the comments again so that uh, we get more people to tune in. That's how they operate. These guys in the radio and television business are such phonies and they... They lie so much. They they bring you in. And that's that's my problem here. Like, Rob Parker made a stupid statement. Getting after a guy because of who his girlfriend is, talking about the fact that he's not down for the cause or he might vote Republican or whatever, even though that has nothing to do with his play on the field, it has nothing to do with how awesome he has been for the Washington Redskins and the fact that, frankly... Uh, he certainly is the rookie of the year in the NFL. None of that really matters to a guy like Rob Parker. Instead, it's got to be all about racial division. It's got to be about divisiveness. It's got to be just this this polarizing kind of commentary because it's got to be something outrageous that's going to draw the listeners in because that's what management really wants you to do in the first place. They don't want you to break down his stats from the other night. They don't want you to talk about his quarterback rating or his completion percentage, how many touchdowns he threw versus how many picks. They don't want you to talk about any of that. They want you to talk about, um, does, uh, does he have a white girlfriend? Because if he does, he's not down for the cause. Stupid. More insanity coming from ESPN. I'm not surprised. So this guy is out, and I would not have fired him, especially if I'm running a network where I hire people to be commentators. And if I were to have hired Rob Parker, knowing that he makes stupid comments from time to time, and then he turns around and says something stupid, don't be surprised when an idiot says something idiotic. You can't turn around and fire somebody 
for giving an opinion. You hire people to give opinions, then they give opinions. Oh, it's because it's the opinion you don't like or it's because it's an unpopular opinion. Now you're going to suddenly grow a spine and fire the guy. That's real ridiculous. I don't like the guy's opinion. I think he's an idiot. But at the same time, he doesn't deserve to be fired over that. Oh, because a few people got outraged. I'm mad. Why are you mad? Because he called him a cornball brother. Yeah, it's dumb. It has nothing to do with sports. Maybe you don't even have have the guy on in the first place because if those are the kinds of comments he's going to make. But I, I guess that's the kind of show that you're angling for. It drives ratings, I suppose. I just don't understand the philosophy over at ESPN sometimes. But then again, when Stuart Scott and Chris Berman both still have jobs, I suppose that says all it needs to say about the network, doesn't it? Talk about appealing to the lowest common denominator between Booyah and I can't stand Chris Berman and I can't stand Stuart Scott. They're both still there. People have been outraged about the fact that those two are on that network for years and they never get fired. This guy says one dumb thing and he's gone. Chris Berman has said a thousand things. He has that video there's that video that's out where he rants against the staff and he just berates the staff for five or ten minutes because one guy accidentally walked in front of the camera during a, a shoot, during a pre-recorded segment, and Chris Berman flew off the handle. They still keep that guy around. Fat, old, white guy. They still keep him around. But they fire the black dude. Well... That shows you there's something going on over. I don't know what's going on at ESPN. I don't get it. I don't really care much for ESPN anyway. Screw him. Chris Berman. The fact that Chris Berman and Stuart Scott still have jobs obviously says ESPN does not care about the audience or they value the audience very little. Or maybe they're just handicapping themselves or maybe somebody at ESPN lost a bet. They said... Somebody must have said they must have been playing cards or something and somebody lost a bet. Or maybe they just said something like, I bet you I could hire the most annoying people and people would still tune into our network. I'm going to amass the most insane and outrageous, just a bunch of people that nobody on earth could possibly tolerate. And I'm going to shove them onto a network. And everybody went, nah, there's no way that that's ever going to work. That won't happen. And this guy said, no, I bet it will because we're talking about sports. And I bet if you even get the most annoying people, people will still stick around through annoying commentary just to get to the sports, just to see the highlights. And sure enough, it's true. That's why Chris Berman and Stuart Scott are still there. I couldn't, that Kenny Maine was another guy. I think he's been gone for a while. I don't even know. It shows you how little I watch ESPN anymore. I try to tune in as little as possible, but I, I tune in once in a while. I do see Colin Cowherd on there. One of these days, I just have to go off about like 90% of the people that are on ESPN and why they're terrible. There's a few good people there. There are. There's a couple of good people, but um, I don't know. I, there's a lot of them that I just, I, I don't know how they got jobs. They must have pictures of people or... That's got to be it. Or they're related to somebody, a big wig in the network. Something like that. I don't know. I obviously don't have that kind of nepotism going for me or else I would have a job at ESPN. It's that simple. 
All right, I'll take a quick break here, and then when we come back, we'll get to a Michael Groff Show flashback. Still more to come. It's the zip code famous Michael Groff Show. You're listening to the Michael Groff Show. MichaelGroff.com. Famous Michael Grob Show. Mike at KMGX.com. The email address it's Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Grob Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Grob Show on Google Talk. Michael Grob on Twitter. And for everything else Michael Grob related, it is always MichaelGrob.com. And on this third segment, we like to. Sometimes throw in, well, it's a mishmash of things that we put in here. Sometimes we give you the pop chart. Sometimes we expose the foibles, the trials and tribulations of the radio business. Sometimes uh, it's just a collection of sound bites and just odd people, odd behavior, stupid news, and all sorts of stuff. So we often reserve for this third segment, but today. A little bit different. We give you the Michael Graff Show flashback. Haven't done one of these in a while. Plus, you know, I really couldn't think of anything else to put in this segment today. So I figure it's a uh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that I had a flashback standing by. Actually, that's that's very fortunate planning on my part. See, always think ahead. Always prepare for the worst. All right, but actually, this is uh, this is some good stuff. So. I've probably done a hundred stories on the show over the years about people being hit by trains. And I'm not even talking about somebody that accidentally falls onto the tracks or, you know, is pushed on there, falls uh, onto the subway line like what happened a few weeks ago. I'm talking about somebody that's just walking along, minding their own business or or driving and, and their, their car gets stuck on the tracks and then they're hit by a train. I've probably done a hundred of these stories, each one more fascinating because I... I really don't get how it happens, how somebody on accident is hit by a train. Well, about seven years ago, I did such a story about a deaf woman that was walking along the train tracks and she was texting. And of course, she wasn't paying attention to where she was going. And subsequently, boom, she's hit by the train. Now, this again caused me to ask a very dangerous question. How is it that if you're down a sense whether you're blind or deaf or whatever, why then would you not use your other senses and pay extra special attention because, well, because you're down a sense, because it's dangerous to walk out there with all five of your senses if you're not paying attention. But this woman was texting. I dared to ask the question. I'm sure that I got a barb or two in, uh, you know, I mean, me, 
me taking a shot at something like that, me making a an ass of myself, me uh, making uh, taking an opportunity to make fun of the situation. It probably happened. I don't know exactly. But I I know I asked the question and I tried to present at least part of the story in a fairly serious manner. Well, somebody took great offense to this. And it's part of our flashback for today. A woman calls up the voicemail and lets me have it. From August 2007, it's a Michael Graff Show flashback. Hi there. I just want to say that you have got to be the most insipid, ridiculously idiotic, moronic person I've ever heard on any form of media. Hold on. Stop right there. Now, why should I even continue listening to this rant? And if that's how you open up, if that's all you got, I don't know why I should even continue to listen. But I, I'm going to anyway. I just want to see where this goes. You are the most insensitive person lacking respect for people who are deaf, blind, disabled, whatever. I am. And possibly what, a, what this person is hit by a train. You're going to make jokes about it. <laughs> I think that you probably have no life and could not have stooped as low as you did. When you made those comments, uh, so uh, good for uh, you. Congratulations. Uh-huh. Get a fucking life. Uh-huh. Right. Why don't you go back to your home on Whore Island? Well, I think what she's talking about is a um, last night. I ran a segment from a show. I guess you know on Monday we're still trying to figure out what to do with the uh, with the Monday shows, and so last night we ran a segment from a show on March fifteenth, two thousand six. I vaguely remember the show. I, I heard a little bit of it last night. And the story that she's referring to as I look back through the through the notes here, and I, I'd have to go back and check for sure on this, but if I'm not mistaken, um, she says I'm making fun of a person that got hit by a train. Well, boy, that does sound kind of mean, especially if you take it out of the context in which the story was presented. However, fact of the matter is um, there was a woman... In Texas, I think she was Miss Texas or something, and she's walking parallel to train tracks. Now, it's always a bad idea to walk parallel to train tracks because, well, you know, a train might come rumbling down those train tracks that you're walking parallel to. This woman was deaf, okay? The woman's deaf. She's walking next to train tracks. She gets hit by a train. But it does sound like it'd be kind of mean of me to make fun of her, doesn't it? Until you get a little bit more into the meat and potatoes of the story and you find out that this woman was not only was she deaf and walking next to train tracks, which she should not have been doing, but she was also text messaging and not paying attention to where she was going or what she was doing. Now, um, as somebody who has a visual impairment myself, which is ironic that you would think that I'm making fun of the blind and disabled, I'm trying to point out the, the foolishness of anybody that is disabled and I hate the word disabled because, but anybody that has an impairment of any kind um, should know or has had mobility instruction at some point, perhaps, and should know to use their other senses. If you're down a sense, if you if if you're if you're deaf, you have to use your eyesight more, and you have to be more tact. You have to use your tactile senses to be more aware of your surroundings. 
If you're blind or even legally blind, such as I am, and you have partial vision loss, you need to use your hearing. You need to use, again, your tactile senses. You need to use your sense of smell, your sense of taste. You need to use all of your other senses and be that much more attentive to the world, to the environment around you so that you don't wind up in a dangerous situation because it's just like distracted driving. People with all of their senses can have an accident at any time if they don't pay attention even for a second. It happens all the time. Cell phones, people eating lunch. I've seen people reading a book while they drive. So this woman was deaf, not paying attention where she was going, on her cell phone sending text messages, and then she got hit by a train. I know it's it's always fun to call up the guy that points out the the stupidity and the foibles of others. It's always fun to call up the talk show host and say, it's your fault. You're evil for pointing out how stupid somebody else was. But why not say, like, why not be a little bit more introspective and say, my God, what was she doing text messaging people? And why didn't she know better? Why didn't somebody tell her that maybe it's not a good idea if you have uh, if you have a hearing loss to not be paying attention to where you're going? Now, I have always asked the question on this show and this sound this may sound and I, again, I, I I don't remember every single show I've ever done in the history of my broadcasting career, which has been a long one so far. I've been doing this show. I've done thousands of episodes of this show. So I do not remember every single show I've ever done. I will go back and listen to that show. However, I probably wasn't on the air going, man, she got hit by a train. That's pretty funny, except to say, how the hell do you get hit by a train on accident? Unless you're one not paying attention, two, you have a suicide wish, you want to kill yourself, or three, you're just inherently stupid. Now, I don't think the latter two apply to this person. I think this person just wasn't paying attention to where she was going, and she got hit by a train. But it does definitely take some... uh, You have to try to get hit by a train. It's not like a car that goes careening onto an intersection and takes out a bunch of people waiting to cross the street. It's not like a bus that goes flying off the road. It's not even like a, an airplane, uh, like a Cessna or something crashing into somebody's house. It's, it's not anything like that. A train, unless it derails, has a certain restrictive path in which it can travel on, the train tracks. And if it wanders off those train tracks on a derailment, well, then somebody getting hit by a train, I guess it's their time to go. Otherwise, if you are, I hate to say this because it is going to sound insensitive, but if you're dumb enough to be hit by a train, you obviously were either, as I said before, dumb, you wanted to kill yourself, or you just weren't paying attention. And again, I think the not paying attention is what applied here. So, of course, you know, I'm the bad guy for pointing it out, I guess. I'm the bad guy. Well, I'm sorry, honey, but uh, you can cram it sideways uh, if you think that, you know, I'm going to apologize or uh, you've got to be the most insensitive, insipid person. Okay, well, you know, that's wonderful. You call up, you you curse all over my rant line and you just call me names. But whatever. Let's see what else is in here. I'm sorry. My brother just made some really good points. Oh, it's you again. I'm going to finish the rest of this rant. (sighs) This girl happened to be somebody that I know. Uh-huh. And she was sure. a good girl. She was young. Right. She was on her pager. Right. Yeah, maybe she shouldn't have been on her pager. Maybe she shouldn't have been texting people. Wait, 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 wait. Maybe she shouldn't have been on her pager. Maybe. Maybe. No, 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 honey. She shouldn't have been on her pager, period. She should not have been playing with her cell phone while walking down the street. 
I see people doing this in cars that have full vision, that have full hearing, that have all of their senses and get into accidents. People do that all the time. If you don't have a sense, if you're down a sense, don't do it. Not maybe. Don't sit here and maybe this today. Uh, maybe she shouldn't have been on her cell phone. Yeah, maybe the guy that killed somebody that was out drunk driving shouldn't have had 12 beers at the bar either. But, you know, maybe maybe he shouldn't have done that. Man, that kind of probably could have saved some lives. Yeah, you think? Jesus I mean, H. She's on her pager. Yeah, maybe she shouldn't have been on her pager. Maybe she shouldn't have been texting people. You're right. That doesn't give you any right to make fun about the fact that a tragic event took place and a yeah. young life was lost. Yeah, yeah. So pick on somebody your own size. Okay, and I guess that would be you. How would you like to suck my balls? It's sad. It's a tragic incident. But it's a needless death. You know, it's just like I pointed out with the helicopter, uh, with these two media helicopters in the Phoenix area. It was sad, man. It was very sad. These people had families. They were just up there doing their jobs. But you know what? They were needless deaths. It was needless for them to be covering this slow-speed police chase. It was needless for them to be up there. It is a, this, you know, it's all about ratings. And this is what happens when you get a little, uh, when, you, when you're trying to punch up those, uh, those cum numbers on your station. Uh, you get those people up in the choppers and you've got all these media helicopters flying around. You have five media helicopters flying around and people lose sight of each other for a second and boom, that's what happens. It's sad, it's horrible, it's tragic, but don't sit here and say I don't have any right to point out the obvious. Now on the uh, on the uh, on instant messenger, somebody saying, "Wow, it's awfully nice of her to comment on something that you talked about a year and a half ago." Well, look, I mean, it was a, it was a replay from last night. If a train derailed and hit somebody, I probably would not be making fun of them. But if you walk along the the railroad, and I, and I don't think I even made fun of her. I think I probably just said it's pretty dumb. It's pretty. Uh, it's a pretty horrible way to die to get hit by uh, a train. So, uh, as it's pointed out in the IRC, this person has some issues. Yeah. Yeah, you think so? All right. Well, whatever. Somebody from the 202 area code. That would be, uh, if if my geek memory serves me correctly, that would be the Washington, D.C. area calling uh, to rant. All right. Well, there you go. So, that's the rant line for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Boy, that was a, uh, that was a stunning segment. Michael Graff Show flashback from August 2007. Some of the angry voicemails that we used to receive on this program. Yeah, that's why we probably don't do the rant line feature anymore. Can you imagine? I don't think the audience is nearly as filled with the vitriol that they used to be. It was a different audience back then. Some might say I sounded a little bit different in that clip too. Well, you know, it is like... A five and a half year old, uh, or yeah, five and a half year old bit. I'm a little bit older and wiser now. All right. Contact information for the program, Mike at KMGX.com. That is our email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Graf Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Graf Show on Google Talk. Michael Graf on Twitter and for everything else Michael Graf related you can go to michaelgraf.com now while you are there you are always encouraged to leave your comments questions suggestions any of your feedback on this or any of our previous podcasts certainly you can get signed up for email notifications every time a brand new podcast is posted so you'll always be in the know 
And you can donate to this show. All of that and much more can be done at the one and only michaelgroff.com. Thank you so much for listening. Always appreciate it. We'll see you tomorrow. We'll wrap up the week. And uh, that's it. Yeah, we're done. That's how I wrap up the show. I just say bye. Good night, everybody.